0: Volume One, Chapter Four of Helen. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Tara Mendoza. Helen by Maria Edgeworth, Volume One, Chapter Four. I must go back," continued Lady Davenant, "quite to the Dark Ages." the time when I knew nothing of my daughter's character, but by the accidental lights which you afforded me. I will take up my story before the Reformation, in the Middle Ages, when you and your dear uncle left us at Florence, about two years ago, when Cecilia was in the height of her conquests, about the time when a certain Colonel d'Augmeny flourished. Do you remember him? Helen answered, yes, in rather a constrained voice, which caused Lady Davenant to look up, and on seeing that look of inquiry Helen coloured though she would have given the world not to be so foolish. The affair was Cecilia's, and Helen only wished not to have it referred to, and yet she had now by colouring done the very thing to fix Lady Davenant's attention, and as the look was prolonged she coloured more and more. "'I see I was wrong,' said Lady Davenant. "'I had thought Colonel D'Aubigny's ecstasy about that miniature of you was only a faint. "'But I see he really was an admirer of yours, Helen.' "'Of mine? "'Oh, no, never!' Still from her fear of saying something that should implicate Cecilia, her tone, though she spoke exactly the truth, was not, to Lady Davenant's discriminative ear, quite natural. Helen, seeing doubt, added, "'Impossible, my dear Lady Davenant! "'You know I was, then, so young, quite a child.' "'No, no, not quite. Two from eighteen and sixteen remain.' I think, and in our days sixteen is not absolutely a child. Helen made no answer. But her thoughts had gone back to the time when Colonel d'Aubigny was first introduced to her, which was just before her uncle's illness, and when her mind had been so engrossed by him, that she had but a confused recollection of all the rest. "'Now you are right, my dear,' said Lady Davenant. "'Right to be absolutely silent. In difficult cases say nothing.' But still, you are wrong in sitting so uneasily under it, for that seems as if there was something. Nothing upon earth! cried Helen. If you would not look at me so, my clear Lady Davenant. Then, my dear Helen, do not break my embroidery silk. That jerk was imprudent. And trust me, my dear, the screw of that silk winder is not so much to blame as you would have me think. Take patience with yourself and with me. There is no great harm done. No unbearable imputation. You are not accused of loving or liking, only of having been admired. Never! cried Helen. Well, well, it does not signify in the least now. The man is either dying or dead. I am glad of it! cried Helen. How barbarous! said Lady Davenant. But let it pass. I am neither glad nor sorry. Contempt is more dignified and safer than hatred, my dear. Now to return to Cecilia— "'Soon after—I will not say the Diabigny era, but soon after you left us, I fell sick. Cecilia was excessively kind to me. In kindness her affectionate heart never failed, and I felt this the more, from a consciousness, that I had been a little harsh to her. I recovered but slowly. I could not bear to have her confined so long in a sick-room. And yet I did not much like either of the chaperones with whom she went out, though they were both of rank, and of unimpeachable character, the one English, one of the best women in the world, but the most stupid, the other a foreigner, one of the most agreeable women in the world, but the most false. I prevailed on Cecilia to break off that. I do not know what to call it. Friendship it was not. And my daughter and I drew nearer together. Better times began to dawn, but still there was little sympathy between us. My mind was intent on Lord Davenant's interests, hers on amusement and admiration. Her conquests were numerous— and she gloried in their number, for between you and me, Cecilia was, before the Reformation, not a little of a coquette. You will not allow it, you did not see it, you did not go out with her, and being three or four years younger, you could not be a very good critic of Cecilia's conduct, and depend upon it, I am right. She was not a little of a coquette, she did not know, and I am sure I did not know, that she had a heart, till she became acquainted with General Clarendon. The first time we met him. Observing a quickening of attention in Helen's eyes, Lady Davenant smiled and said, "'Young ladies always like to hear of the first time we saw him. The first time we saw General Clarendon was, forgive me, the day of the month, in the gallery at Florence. I forget how it happened that he had not been presented to me—to Lord Davenant he must have been. But so it was. And it was new to Cecilia to see a man of appearance, who had not on his first arrival shown himself ambitious to be made known to her. He was admiring a beautiful Magdalene, and he was standing with his back towards us. I recollect that his appearance when I saw him as a stranger, the time when one can best judge of appearance, struck me as that of a distinguished person. But little did I think that there stood Cecilia's husband. So little did my maternal instinct guide me. As we approached, he turned and gave one look at Cecilia. She gave one look at him. He passed on. She stopped me to examine the picture which he had been admiring. Every English mother at Florence, except myself, had their eyes fixed upon General Clarendon from the moment of his arrival. But whatever I may have been, or may have been supposed to be, on the great squares of politics, I believe I never have been accused, or even suspected, of being a manoeuvrer on the small domestic scale. My reputation for imbecility in these matters was perhaps advantageous. He did not shun me as he did the tribe of knowing ones. A hundred reports flew about concerning him, settling in one that he was resolved never to marry. Yet he was a passionate admirer of beauty and grace, and it was said that he had never been unsuccessful where he had wished to please. The secret of his resolution against marriage was accounted for by the gossiping public in many ways variously absurd. The fact was that in his own family and in that of a particular friend, there had been about this time two or three scandalous intrigues followed by the public brand of shameful life one of these sad affairs as they are styled was marked with premeditated treachery and turpitude the lady had been or had seemed to be for years a pattern wife the mother of several children yet she had long betrayed and at last abandoned a most amiable and confiding husband and went off with a man who did not love her who cared for naught but himself a disgusting monster of selfishness, vanity, and vice. This woman was said to have once been good, but to have been corrupted and deprived by residence abroad, by the contagion of foreign profligacy. In the other instance, the seduced wife had been originally most amiable, pure minded, uncommonly beautiful, loved to idolatry by her husband, Clarendon's particular friend, a man high in public estimation. The husband shot himself. The seducer was, it said, the lady's first love. That these circumstances should have made a deep impression on Clarendon is natural. The more feeling, the stronger the mind, the more deep and lasting it was likely to be. Besides his resolution against marriage in general, we heard that he had specially resolved against marrying any travelled lady, and most especially against any woman with whom there was danger of a first love. How this danger was to be avoided, or ascertained, mothers and daughters looked at one another and did not ask or at least did not answer cecilia apparently unconcerned heard and laughed at these high resolves after her gay fashion with her young companions and marvelled how long the resolution would be kept general clarendon of course could not but be introduced to us could not but attend our assemblies nor could he avoid meeting us in all the good english and foreign society at florence but whenever he meant us he always kept at a safe distance This caution marked his sense of danger. To avoid its being so construed, perhaps, he made approaches to me, politely cold. We talked, very wisely, on the state of the continent, and the affairs of Europe. I did not, however, confine myself or him to politics. I gave him many unconscious opportunities of showing in conversation, not his abilities, for they are nothing extraordinary, but his character, which is first-rate. Gleams came out of a character born to subjugate to captivate, to attach for life. It worked first on Cecilia's curiosity. She thought she was only curious, and she listened at first, humming an opera air between times, with the least concern look conceivable. But her imagination was caught, and it thenceforward, through everything that everybody else might be saying, and through all she said herself, she heard every word that fell from our general, and even all that was repeated of his saying at second or third hand— so she learned in due season that he had seen women as handsome, handsomer than Lady Cecilia Davenant, but that there was something in her manner peculiarly suited to his taste, his fastidious taste. So free from coquetry he said she was, and true, perfectly true, from the time he became acquainted with her, no hypocrisy on her part, no mistake on his, at the first touch of a real love there was an end of vanity and coquetry, then her deference, Her affection for her mother was so charming, he thought, such perfect confidence, such quick intelligence between us. No deceit here, either, only a little self-deception on Cecilia's part. She had really grown suddenly fonder of me. What had become of her fear she did not know, but I knew full well my new charm and my real merit. I was a good and safe conductor of the electric shock. It chanced one day, when I was listening only as one listens to a man who is talking at another through oneself. I did not immediately catch the meaning, or I believe here, what the general said. Cecilia unawares answered for me, and showed that she perfectly understood. He bowed. She blushed. Man is usually quick-sighted to woman's blushes. But our general was not vain, only proud. The blush he did not set down to his own account, but very much to hers. It was a proof, he thought, of so much simplicity of heart, so unspoiled by the world— so unlike, in short, so like the very woman he had painted in his fancy, before he knew too much. Lady Cecilia was now a perfect angel. Not one word of all this did he say, but it was understood quite as well as if it had been spoken. His lips were firm compressed, and the whole outer man composed, frigidly cold. Yet through all this Cecilia saw, such is woman's penetration in certain cases. Cecilia saw— What must sooner or later happen? He, still proud of his prudence, refrained from word, look or sigh, resolved to be impassive, till his judgment should be perfectly satisfied. At last his judgment was perfectly satisfied—that is, he was passionately in love, fairly caught, my dear, in the strong toils of grace, and he threw himself at Cecilia's feet. She was not quite so much surprised as he expected, but more pleased than he had ventured to hope there was that however in his proud humility which told cecilia there must be no trifling he either fears his fate too much or his deserts are small who fears to put it to the touch to win or lose it all he put it to the test and won it all general clarendon indeed is a man likely to win and keep the love of woman for this among other good reasons that love and honour being with him inseparable The idol he adores must keep herself at the height to which he has raised her, or cease to receive his adoration. She must be no common vulgar idol for every passing worshipper. As Lady Davenant paused, Helen looked up, hesitated, and said, I hope that General Clarendon is not disposed to jealousy. No, he's too proud to be jealous, replied Lady Davenant. Are proud men never jealous? thought Helen. I mean, continued Lady Davenant. That General Clarendon is too proud to be jealous of his wife. For aught, I know, he might have felt jealousy of Cecilia before she was his, for then she was but a woman, like another. But once his, once having set his judgment on the cast, both the virtues and the defects of his character join in security for his perfect confidence in the wife, his choice and passion both prove. From temper and principle he is unchangeable. I acknowledge that i think the general is a little inclined perhaps to obstinacy but as burke says though obstinacy is certainly a vice it happens that the whole line of the great and masculine virtues constancy fidelity fortitude magnanimity are closely allied to this disagreeable quality of which we have so just an abhorrence it is most peculiarly happy for cecilia that she has a husband of this firm character one on whom she can rely one to whom she may she must look up if not always get upon all important occasions where decision is necessary or integrity required it is between her and her general as it should be in marriage each has the compensating qualities to which the other possesses general clarendon is inferior to cecilia in wit but superior in judgment inferior in literature superior in knowledge of the world, inferior to my daughter altogether in abilities, in what is called genius, but far superior in that ruling power, strength of mind. Strength of mind is an attaching as well as a ruling power. All human creatures, women especially, become attached to those who have power over their minds. Yes, Helen, I am satisfied with their marriage, and with your congratulations. Yours are the sort I like. Vulgar people—by vulgar people I mean all who think vulgarly, very great vulgar people, have congratulated me upon this establishment of my daughter's fortune and future rank. A dukedom in view—all that can be wished in worldly estimation. But I rejoice in it, as the security for my daughter's character and happiness. Thank you again, my dear young friend, for your sympathy. You can understand me. You can feel with me. Sympathy, intelligent, quick, warm, unwearied, unweariable, such as Helen's, is really a charming accomplishment in a friend. The only obligation a proud person is never too proud to receive, and it was most gratifying to Helen to be allowed to sympathize with Lady Davenant, one who in general never spoke of herself, or unveiled her private feelings, even to those who lived with her on terms of intimacy.' Helen felt responsible for the confidence granted to her thus upon credit, and a strong ambition was excited in her mind, to justify the high opinion her superior friend had formed of her. She determined to become all that she was believed to be. As the flame of a taper suddenly rises towards what is held over it, her spirit mounted to the point to which her friend pointed. End of Volume 1 Chapter 4 Recording by Tara Mendoza Phoenix, Arizona September 2011